Welcome to a trip to the movies. I'm Alex Zane, and this episode is brought to you by who else but Odeon. I love an Odeon, especially an Odeon Lux. Whether I'm on the red carpet as a movie premiere or popping down to my local cinema, the feeling's always the same. Pulling open the door to hear the huge, spine-tingling Dolby Atmos sound bellowing from within. The irresistible glow of the gigantic 4K iSense screen drawing you towards it, four times sharper to capture every detail, relaxing into those luxurious reclining seats and feeling that sense of anticipation as you excitedly sip on your favourite beverage before emerging at the end of the film trying to put into words what you've just experienced. It's nothing short of magic. You can book your Odeon Lux experience at odeon.co.uk or on the Odeon app. They say, we make movies better and I couldn't agree more. Also, just before we head to our fantastic virtual cinema, how would you like a pair of tickets to head to a fantastic and very real Odeon Cinema? Because the lovely people at Odeon have handed us a pair of tickets to give away every show. So if you'd like the chance to head to your nearest Odeon and enjoy a movie, all you need to do is leave us a review. I'll explain more at the end of the show. Finally, if you'd like to watch today's interview rather than listen, you can find the full video interviews for every show in glorious Technicolor over on our Trip to the Movies Patreon. And if you want a little taster of what they're like, why not subscribe to our Trip to the Movies YouTube channel. All right, back to this episode. If you're ready, let's do this. Hello and welcome to A Trip to the Movies, the podcast where each week a special guest takes us on an incredible journey as they curate their perfect night out at our fantastic virtual cinema. This week we're joined by an incredible writer, producer and director who in the last two years has scared the life out of us with his found footage horror host before melting our brains with his balls to the wall follow-up dash cam. He's a horror aficionado who just directed a segment on the recent Shudder original Scare Package 2, taking us on today's trip to the movies please welcome the brilliant jed shepherd how are you Ooh, i'm good alex good to see you again man yeah i'm excited <laughs> oh man it's so good to see you i i know you're very busy at the moment so i appreciate you making the time to come on because you've been in the edit all week right yeah i've been editing something secret mm. uh that'll be out and available to everyone sometime this year um and yeah all i can say about it is it's uh spooky weird maybe a little bit of time travel but that's about as much as i can say but you might see some familiar faces in it as well oh that's exciting that's exciting i mean i'm i'm kind of more excited because i got a little more from you just before we started but that is all you can say at the moment and i respect that and so listen i just um i just want to say uh your segment on uh, scare package two so let, let's rewind a bit because this is the first okay. time you've directed something in a while isn't it like you've been writing you've yeah. been producing but this is this is this is stepping back behind the camera yeah it is uh the last time i directed something was um this short called multiplex which was actually before host came out and that mm. stars all the all the ladies from host before host um and the week be- or two weeks before lockdown, uh, it was it got shown for the first time at Glasgow Film Festival, and then we had a whole host of pun uh, intended, whole <laughs> host of things, um, other festivals it was gonna it was gonna play in, but um, it never got the chance because because of, of lockdown. So it's kind of in a limbo situation at the moment. But that's that was like made in like 2019, and yeah, this is the first time um, since then, and yeah, reuniting some some old faces. Um, 
it, it's it's such a fun segment. Um, let, let's let's go into it. So the, the backstory to it is it's a it's a it's a little segment in Scare Package Two that is um, it's based on this this story about there being a ghost child in three men and a baby. Just for those who yeah. don't know this story, just just remind everyone what that is. So um, when Three Men and the Baby came out, it was obviously like a, a, a big smash hit, but the fun really started when it uh, went onto home video. And that's where it became like, um, like an urban legend that behind Ted dancing in one scene, behind the curtains, there's the ghost of a little kid poking out. And obviously... Like in school and in, in and just you know just with your friends, you want to get that VHS. You want to get it so you can see this ghost kid. The first time there's ever been proof of the supernatural, and it's in <laughs> Three Men and a Baby. So I have been fascinated by this, and and I actually think that was one of the reasons why um, they made a sequel to Three Men and the Baby due to the popularity of the home video of Three Men and the Baby. So I think the ghost kid has a lot to answer for. Um, but I have been so obsessed by by this for, for years and years and years and years and years. And all film urban legends, like there's there's stuff in in uh, Wizard of Oz, uh, you know, where you can see apparently a hanged munchkin and other things yeah. going on in the background. Um, but yeah, when I got the opportunity to, to do this, I was like, yeah, can I bring all my mates along and can it be about three men and a baby? And, <laughs> and they were like, yeah, this sounds cool. It's, it, it is cool. And I love the fact you have so much fun with it because it is, it's one of these things that is like, is it, isn't it? And then you take it to the next level. Like the kid died by falling on some prop swords. It's like, why yeah. were there prop swords on the set of three men and a baby? It's like, yeah. you, ter- you there's some great dark humor in there. It's so funny because I made up the prop swords thing, but I've I've seen in reviews that that's been the legend since the start, and this is how <laughs> urban legends kind of explode. Because now, now people will think that the legend really is that a, a little kid fell onto some prop swords on the set of Three Men and the Baby. I made that completely up, um, but yeah, it's it's ludicrous, and a lot of these urban legends are completely ludicrous. Um, but it just takes a few people to like. Pr- say it's true for it to kind of expand and uh, i love stuff like that and um with with scare package 2 specifically the aim was to like poke fun at um like 90s tropes and 90s horror films and i know three men and the babies an 80s song but like um this is the that's the reason why it's on laser disc and not vhs because i wanted it to be a little bit more 90s than, than 80s <laughs> yeah yeah god laser discs oh there we go oh <laughs> Yeah, I could never yeah. afford laser discs. So, um, I, I, one of my friends' dads had them, and I just I, to this day I've never been, I've never understood how it can be so big, and yet you need to turn it over halfway through. I just, I oh could never God, really fathom yeah. the information. If you're really bougie, uh, you would have um, a laser disc player that actually flips it for you. I actually have never seen it in action, but some of them, the more expensive ones, they come out, they flip over, and they go back in. But wow, it's mm. it's nuts. And. <laughs> um, you mentioned it already, but you're reuniting your uh, your cast from Host, and uh, it must be it must be nice having familiar faces there to work with, and they're so good together. I, I, I love those ladies, and, and um, much as we did the press for Host, people were flabbergasted that these were really friends, and we really organically made Host. And I always think that um, the rarest commodity in, in film is loyalty. And I, I've just seen people backstab each other and, and do all kinds of things. And I'm just like, I'm not going to be like that. I am going to be like I always wanted to be when I was a little kid. I want to be with my friends, making stuff with my friends for as long as possible. And people will try and stop you because they'll say, oh, there's a more famous person who could do this. And I'm just like, 
I don't care. But the point of this is to be satisfied at the end end of my life, to look back and think, okay, I made some good choices, some bad choices, but I've learned from them, but some also some really good choices. And I think working with your friends is one of the best choices you can make because um, you don't want to be alone on the in your ivory tower. You want to be surrounded by your mates. Hmm. I, I mean, like I said, I mean, they're great together. But what I also love yeah. is like, you know, your direction in it. There is some beautiful moments. I, I won't spoil it for people because obviously, you know, this only came out December the 22nd, I think. So this is still yeah. there to be watched on Shudder. But um, there's some fun with the remote. And I personally like uh, what I'm going to call fast forward, stabby, stabby, stabby. That bit is- <laughs> yeah, well, well, it's funny you say that because the the, the antagonist, the, the little kid who, um, I mean, spoilers, he ultimately comes out of the film and and and, and wreaks havoc. We've we've nicknamed him Stabby because he has swords for hands. Um and yeah, and it was just fun putting it together. You know, it was put together really quick and you know this was real low budget, but it was a lot of fun. The whole of Scare Package 2 was really, really fun. So that particular um uh kill is really interesting because it was actually filmed in the same house that Radina filmed her host stuff in. Oh, what? So yeah, so the, ba- the bathroom she goes into the host is the same bathroom she's killed there. So there's a little bit of, uh, you know, some uh, uh, like linking things together. It's a shared universe. It's a <laughs> it really is. <laughs> it really is. I mean, like we've talked about it, you and I, before, but it, it's just worth, you know, mentioning host again because it made such a big splash during lockdown. It's sort of, it was this little movie that came out of nowhere and just like made waves. Everyone was talking about it. It scared the shit out of a lot of people. <laughs> Had you any idea as you were doing it that like it was going to catch fire in that way? Uh, Absolutely not. And and genuinely, like two days before it dropped on Shudder, I remember speaking to the ladies, and they were like, "Oh yeah, okay, yeah, we'll we'll retweet it and stuff." Like because they just thought it was going to be a film that only our mates and maybe family would see. We had absolutely no expectations, and. And Shudder, um, who, who are amazing, they took a chance on us because why would they give us money to make this weird fan footage movie on, on Zoom? But they took a chance on us. But the only thing is they didn't have a poster or a trailer. So it arrived into the world fully formed without any hype whatsoever. And I think that that really helped it. Um, but me and Rob definitely did, Rob, the director of host, really did not think it would blow up. Blow up, And that's why we put so much in jokes in it. Like the stuff in the back references the stuff we love all over the film it's our love letter to kind of the films we love and of course making a film with your friends people might think that's a compromise as well um because you, you haven't like cast wide um so yeah we had absolutely no expectation whatsoever that this would even get seen by like more than like a handful of people um so so when it did and it really on day one it kind of blew up straight away like the first reviews in were, were this is the scariest movie we've seen in 30 years and things like that. And then um, we started going on TV quite a lot. Um, and I know you're used to it, Alex, but like, like me and Rob are definitely not used to it. And when we were on, me, Rob and Gemma, we were on uh, like BBC Breakfast, like in the morning, in the middle, this is the middle of COVID as well. And then the, the best one is when me and Rob went on to the ITV News and live on the ITV News, we you probably find on YouTube, we do a trick where cupboards blast open behind Rob and, and he's like, whoa. And I'm just like, oh my God, Rob, Rob, we need to get off this. <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's nuts. But yeah, that's why we haven't been back on, on TV for a while, maybe because of that stunt. But, um... <laughs> oh, wait, you didn't tell them that you were going to do that? <laughs> no, no, we didn't. 
he didn't. It was great, and it's just great to see that just the cast. Like they, they they did lots of like TV and in America and stuff. And yeah, it's it just it's really satisfying just to see something that you've made that everyone like really likes. And yeah, and and something. I mean, you know, it, it's. The fan footage genre has been, uh, you know, it's been a, a, a furrow so well ploughed, and yet to be able to see something that does something new and fresh and brings new scares to it that we hadn't seen before, I mean, that's a huge achievement. Yeah, and you know, it, it, again, it came together so fast, and most of the kills and the setups for the kills came in about a half hour Zoom call with me and Rob just right at the start, like, okay, what's this going to be about? We don't even have a name, we don't know what this is about. Uh, and I text him two words, Zoom seance, uh, which I'm, I'm going to actually frame that text because it's like it started my <laughs> career, basically. But um, yeah, really quickly. Okay, we went we went onto the Zoom uh, webpage and we looked down the list of features and we literally put a girl's name next to each of the features. Like, and we, okay, Caroline's going to die by change something to do with uh, the background or the chat or something and the filters for Emma. Um, you know, it was as easy as that. And because we are essentially encyclopedias of horror like it was very easy that we could um you know riff on some of our favorite kills and 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 subvert audience expectations because we are the audience for for horror films and and yeah. if there is a lot of things that you, you we we you haven't seen before but there's a lot of things that we took like wholesale from Blair Witch Project the entire format of it is we've, we just stole from Blair Witch Project to be honest <laughs> but it's, that's it's so fascinating isn't it because you know because like I, I said at the start you're a horror fi- aficionado you are an encyclopedia of horror knowledge and I, I, I think you I guess you have to be that in that world well it is a, a you know it's a very welcoming world the world of horror from my experiences it, it's also one where people go seen it seen that before seen that before mm-hmm. and you, you know it people are very aware they they do know their stuff and if you're repeating kills yeah. it's like you're repeating something they've seen before so you kind of need to know your stuff that you need to know what's come before in order to do what's next um and i'm me and rob where are where are influences on our sleeves like if, if we've used a kill from something we'll say oh we we literally took it from that film because yeah. we love it and we've just made it our own um and I think you know we we pay homage to to all of the, the people that have come before and um, yeah, but like just again the, the process was twelve weeks from from conception to the release, so we we didn't have time to think at all. We just we just did what our heart kind of like said to do, and we released it. There's uh, one more thing that I want to mention, um, which I, people can find on YouTube, and I, I'm sure you've, it's probably been and gone for you, but it's one of those things that I always go, man, that could be a feature. And I don't know if you have any plans to turn it into a feature, but it's another collaboration between you and Rob, and it's Dawn of the Death, which is just uh, just such a smart idea. It's, you know, I'll, I'll let you explain it rather than me explaining it. Yeah, D- Dawn of the Death was... Um... It came in the first meeting I ever had with Rob when this was like 2010, I think, when uh, I saw Rob posted a, th- a one-minute comedy short online, and uh, I think he did it for a competition or something, and like it had like two likes, one retweet, and I think that was from like a, a family member as well. But somehow it came across my feed, and I was like, okay, this this is good because I always think the the, the timing with Timing's essential in comedy and horror. So if if this guy knows comedy, then maybe he'll know horror. And I had this idea called Dawn of the Death, and yeah, it definitely did start as a pun. And um, I said, "Hey, do you want to have a drink?" And he's like, "Yeah, we live very near to each other, so went for a drink." The first words I said, "I've got this idea. It's called Dawn of the Death," and he was just, like, "I'm in." And then I explained what it was about. Um, 
And yeah, so a couple of years later, it took, took that long. Uh, we started pitching it around the usual places in the UK to try and get some money. Of course, everybody said no to us. So we had to use our credit cards and uh, it got, we, we made it. And I don't think even the cast knew what we were making and uh, yeah, ended up going to Sundance. And that was the kind of pretty much the start of the journey of, okay, this is how film works. This is how film festivals work. Um, And yes, we are trying to get it made as a feature film. Oh really? Um, Yeah. Like I, I, I mean, we've hinted at it in, in the years gone by, but we have actually done a deal on on, on Dawn, of, Dawn of the Death so uh, with some pretty big people. So fingers crossed we see that soon. Um, um, uh, but I mean, Rob's going to direct it, so he's got a big queue, and I've got a big queue of things. Uh, but Dawn of the Death is definitely up there because like, uh, that, that's what started everything, really. That's amazing to hear. That's amazing. I love it. I love it. People should go check out the show. It's on YouTube. Um, all right, Jed, I'm very much looking forward to our trip. You're about to take us on your perfect night out at the cinema. You are our guide. We are your audience. Let's go on a trip to the movies. So we push open the doors to our temple of film and find ourselves in the foyer. There's an excited buzz as there always is in a cinema foyer, the hum of anticipation. It's your perfect cinema trip, Jed. Who have you picked, living or dead, to go with you? I have picked David Lynch. And I know that sounds like it will be the worst time ever, but I've been watching David Lynch's social media presence for for the last few years, and the guy is borderline not so mm-hmm. uh, but in in the best possible way he is so so interesting and his view on everything is totally different than anyone else he thinks of things differently so i would want to bring him because when i watch the film and have my own point of view i know afterwards he'll be able to give me an entirely different like point of view of of what he thought and yeah he's just a one-off and i i, I can't wait one day to meet him and, and to talk to him about movies have you ever been in the same room as him at any of the festivals you've attended? Have you ever been close to him? I don't know. I don't know. He, to, to me, he's like a unicorn. Like I think if, I ever, if I'm ever in his presence, I'll, I'll, I don't know, the universe will end or something. But <laughs> no, have you? Have you interviewed him? Do you know what? I haven't. And I was about to ask you, like, what was your sort of entry-level Lynch? Because a lot of my friends got into Lynch a lot earlier than me. And I, even now, I'm sort of, I'm not, you know, when you're into Lynch, you're into Lynch. And I'm sort of, I skirt around the outside. So when did you get into him? So in school, uh, one of the teachers actually showed us, I think it was weirdly in an English literature class, uh, for some reason showed us um, The Elephant Man um, by by David Lynch. And I was blown away, even at this real early age, I was blown away by, by this movie. And it's one of the first times where there was a, I felt, I felt really real empathy for a character. And, and I didn't realize that, that this guy, David Lynch, made films that are a little bit less linear and, and more mm. crazy. And I think after that, I went straight into Twin Peaks and the rest of history. As soon as, soon as you're a diehard Twin Peaks fan, there's, there's no looking back. Yeah, Twin Peaks, yeah. I totally got that. I, I, I came to it late, but when I watched it, I was like, yeah, I wish I'd watched this earlier. I kind of had a lot of arguments with a friend of mine at school who absolutely <laughs> loved The Lost Highway. And I was just like, oh yeah, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. I, I, I won't deny that one of the scariest scenes I've ever seen is that Bill Pullman, where there's somebody in his house scene and there's mm-hmm. this, the POV stuff, scared the yeah. crap out of me. But outside that, I was like, I don't get it. 
Yeah, and 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 the scene similar to that is in Mulholland Drive, where um, there is a monster behind the corner, and the whole film is leading up to them going around that corner. It's so scary, uh, and the monster's played by Bonnie Aarons, who's now the nun in the James Wan universe. So it's oh very yes, cool. oh yes. <laughs> All right, it's you and David Lynch going to the cinema. Great stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a clock on the wall in the foyer, Jed. It reads a specific yeah. time. What time of day have we gone to the cinema? It has to be a midnight screening. It has to be. Like, in the UK, we don't have enough midnight screenings, and, and it sucks. Because, like, when you're in LA, you have, like, the new Beverly Cinema that does an amazing, like, double bills and midnight screenings, and it just feels... It just feels great. To, it feels really immersive as well because everyone has taken the time out of their evening and uh, foregoing sleep and possibly their the next day at work in order to watch a film. And I think it's worth sacrificing uh, uh, your your strength the next day to, to watch a good movie. Okay, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I, I hear you. Like, I often sort of, <laughs> I often think like, oh, midnight screens. But you're right. I mean, are there that many in the? Are there even any in the UK? Uh, Prince, Prince Charles Cinema, they do kind of like marathons, uh, but they don't usually start a film at midnight. Usually it's like 8 p.m. and then runs to the morning when they do those pajama parties. But it's really rare. Um, there should be more. I think it's because like our public transport doesn't often cater for uh, midnight screenings. Um, and usually the cinemas are not near any kind of car parks or affordable car parks. So, yeah, it's a shame. But, you know, one of my dreams is to, like, r- run a cinema and um, I'll be doing midnight screenings if that ever happens. Is that really – is that an actual yeah. dream, to run a cinema? Mm-hmm. How, yep, long have yep. you, how, how long have you had that dream? Since, since I was a kid um, – since I was a kid, I've always thought, okay, it's great watching other people's um, films and, and films that other people have picked, but I'd love to curate. Like like Tarantino does at the New Beverly Cinema in LA, he he curates those 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 movies. And I I there are a lot of movies that I love that nobody's seen. Some of the movies have never transferred from VHS to DVD or, or anything, and they're just stuck in this limbo of being a great film, but only on VHS. And it's not popular enough for someone to pay for the Blu-rays or the DVDs to be made. So I want to show those. And um, at the Genesis Cinema in, in London, um, me and Rob, we, we run the, uh, when Rob's in, in London, we run this thing called the London Video Club where we show like obscure VHS horror movies to an audience who, who, who've never even experienced VHS in, in most cases and also maybe not seen these movies. And projecting a VHS onto a massive cinema screen is – is a feat in itself, but we've managed to figure out how to do it. <laughs> is, is one of you standing next to the auto-tracking button for the entire night? That's all I remember. Someone press auto-tracking. Press auto-tracking. That was it. There is an element of that. We we basically to make a whole kind of show of it. We put the the VCR right in the middle of the of the aisle, and we make one of the audience members come up and put in the video because <laughs> a lot of people haven't experienced that. Especially so, we get someone relatively young who don't know what to do with a VHS, and they push it in. And when when you when you hear that clunk and that whir, it's something magical. Um, and then we watch all the trailers beforehand for all the all the kind of eighties movies. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, have you? Um- have you ever actually seen Host on a big screen? Because obviously it went straight onto Shudder, but have you had the chance to actually put it on a screen for an audience, a big screen? Yeah, because um, when when Host blew up, um, the all the cinemas chains got in touch and the the distributor was just, oh, wow, people want to see this. And 
not everyone has shutter. So yeah, they put it they put it on uh, loads of screens um, in around Halloween 2020. I think we were about 100 and 200 cinemas across the UK. Uh, at the BFI, it was really great. Watched it a bunch of times at the BFI. Um, and also the Prince Charles Cinema, they did a big long run of host. So I've, I've probably seen it like a dozen times um, um, in the cinema, which is, which is amazing. Watching a Zoom video on, on a cinema screen. <laughs> <laughs> so you put VHS on a, a cinema screen, yeah. you put Zoom on a cinema screen. Um, was it amazing actually experiencing it with an audience for the first time, though? Oh, it really is because there are bits in it that I didn't realize was were, were funny, and like hearing an audience all like laugh together at certain bits, and also be scared at bits that I didn't expect as well. And we're in our during lockdown, we were in our little cocoons. You know, we didn't see anyone. We're watching films in isolation, and you don't really know like how what bits work or what bits don't. And watching it with a with a big audience multiple times, you you know those beats, and it, it just reinforces like what we did was was really special because. Um, it really works with a, with, a, with a big audience as well as working at home on, on your laptop. Yep, that's how I watched it. Scared the shit out of me. Absolutely terrifying. <laughs> it's just, it was the per- perfect, perfect <laughs> lockdown movie. All right, Jed, you booked the tickets for us to go on this trip. So when we get into the auditorium, where are we going to be sitting? We're going to be sitting as close to center, center middle as possible. Because I'm, I'm one of those guys that I've, I've looked at those diagrams of where the best place to sit in a cinema is. So to, to get the perfect sound, like equally uh, symmetrically in both ears, um, and also that the best view where you're not obscured by a lot, lot of people, but the the edge of the cinema screen is the exact periphery of your eyes, and um, so it's usually in in normal cinemas about J15, like in the J's basically, so like ten rows back. Uh, it's usually that where, where I want to sit. In the J's, in the J's. Okay, that's in the in J's. The J's so yeah. Center middle. So what we're talking about here is not having to literally move your head to the left or the right at all. No. At all, okay. no. That 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 takes effort. That'll take me out of the immersive experience. So yeah, just just right in the centre with with an equal amount of audio in each ear, and yeah, then I'm good. So there are other actual. Just to go back, are there actual diagrams like this? You know, I've I've done yeah. it with planes where I've gone on like seat seat guru or <laughs> seat plan for a, for a plane to find out which seat I should sit in. But you can do the same for a cinema. Yes, yes. There's there's diagrams. Um, you can just Google it. The, the best places to sit in, in the in the cinema, and also just by like experience. Like I hate sitting on the left or right edge, especially at the BFI. It's just a real big in like NFT one. It's, it's a big place. I if I really want to see a film and I have to sit at the sides, I just won't go. Like I I, I need to be in the middle. Otherwise, it's almost like you're watching a film over someone's shoulder. Like you're not immersed in the film, and I need to be completely immersed total blackness um yeah right in the middle this is great this is <laughs> this is good i i that is that is a commitment to your seating uh, a, a plan in so much as you will not see a film unless you get the right seat because it will it will damage the movie watching experience i think so. i think so yeah what, what about you what, what where would you sit oh jed uh i mean i appreciate everything you've said and it excites <laughs> me it, it it makes me wish that i could sit in the center but I, i'm i'm an isler i have to sit on the aisle because oh, really? I, I need if 
I can't. I can't. I can't walk past people if I need to go to the toilet. And uh, I, I, I know I've had arguments with people about bladder size and whether I, there's something wrong with me. Perhaps <laughs> I should see a doctor. I don't know. All I know is if I want to go to the toilet and I'm trapped in the middle, uh, it's it's it, it terrifies me because I'm like I can't. I, I I don't. What if you were sitting next to me and I was sitting next to you and you were, we were in the middle and I was like, <sighs> excuse me, mate, I need to go to the toilet. <laughs> you would hate me, and I'd know you'd hate me. A little, a little bit, a, a yeah. little bit, but but you know, Rob, who directs the host, he goes to the toilet like five times. I don't know what's up with this banner. He goes to the, you hate me saying this, but he goes to the toilet a lot. And there, there was one time, so very quickly, James One invited us to the premiere of Aquaman, uh, and uh, he put us in the same aisle as the stars. So, so Jason Momoa was there, Amber <laughs> Heard was there. Me, me and Rob in the middle, and I was like, "Oh no, this is a recipe for disaster," because Rob got up so many times and I had to like shuffle past like Patrick, Patrick Wilson, and 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 Amber Heard, and they 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 were not happy. Um, so in the end, like after his fourth trip to the toilet, he just found an MTC at the, the front at the bottom and just sat there because he didn't want to piss them off. Um, yeah, oh. but I, I I go to the toilet. I'm, I, religiously i go to the toilet beforehand um yeah. and and get it all out i don't i never get a large drink i get a small drink just in case so i'm fully prepared and that was the uh that was the aquaman premiere at the uh the empire imax in leicester square wasn't it yes so, yes yes so i i i hosted that i introduced jason oh, nice. Momoa on stage <laughs> do you remember the bit where uh <laughs> i just remember this distinctly because it was like he, he was he was given the the, the the a trident from the movie. Yes. Now I I truly believe that he thought it was a prop trident that's like <laughs> was just like it was just been given it for the premiere, and he snapped it over his knee, and I watched the guy in the corner yes. whose job it had been all night to look after the literal trident from Aquaman, the prop that was used in the movie, nearly oh break down into tears because like, you know, he was just like, that was his job to look after that trident. And Jason Momoa just went, oh, Jason Momoa. Oh my God. Did you, did you go to the after party afterwards? No, I didn't get invited. Oh, because okay. some, <laughs> some, some crazy stuff went down there. <laughs> like, me, me and Rob got there. Jason Momoa was the only one there at the time. And we saw him and he was just, just lined up shots for us. Aquaman lined up shots for us. And it was great. <laughs> oh. um, but yeah. Well, next That's time, crazy. I know you now. So next time I'll give you a high five as, as I go past on the red carpet. Uh, if I get an invite, uh, that is. Uh, yeah, and, and, and an invite. To the after party as well. That'd be yes, nice. Yes, that's, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm really angling for here. All right, then. So just before we leave the foyer, God, the air is full of wonderful smells. All manner of snacks and foodstuffs are available at the various counters. What are you choosing to eat? It is only soft stuff. Jelly sweets, chocolate, absolutely no popcorn. Reason being, obviously, popcorn's distracting. It's really, really distracting. And um, yeah, anything that takes me out of the immersive um, feeling being in the cinema is uh, I hate. So like, I mean, I don't mind too much other people having it, but like just me, myself, like it's loud in my own head if I eat popcorn. Um, so yeah, it's mostly chocolate um, and jelly snakes. Jelly snakes from Cineworld. That, that's, that's my go-to at the moment. Love jelly snakes. Oh, that sounds good. All right. So mm -hmm. just soft stuff. Just so it's like... Just the uh, soft stuff. Mm, I, I, yeah. I see your logic there. So what I'm, what I'm getting from this experience uh, so far with you, and we haven't even got to the auditorium yet, is an almost like church-like respect 
for this place of worship. So you're sitting in the perfect space. You're not having anything that could distract you audibly. Yeah, it, it is my church. That that's yeah. where I, I go to to pay respect to the filmmakers that have come before. And um, yeah, I I do not like being distracted. And like don't, I, I go to Peck. I, I'm from South London. I go to Peckinplex quite a lot. That is not a place you go if you don't want to be distracted because everyone talks through every movie. And and sometimes it's good because it's interactive. It depends on them. If it's an action movie, a Marvel movie, it's good. But when you're watching something a little bit more quiet. And people are commenting as you go along. That that kind of drives me insane. Um, but yeah, <laughs> nothing okay. too loud. Right, soft stuff. Um, if I was to twist your arm, though, and I do mean twist your arm, popcorn, sweet or salted? Interesting, because I, I would say salted popcorn, but I'd put sweet stuff in. I would do what the what the Americans and Canadians do. They put chocolate in their popcorn, so it's almost like a nice surprise. They go, oh, bit of chocolate. I quite, I quite like that. Yeah, Are you a fan? I've heard about this. I've heard about yeah. this, and and I and I absolutely I, I haven't done it yet, but mm-hmm. I do like the idea. I think there's there's this talk of Maltesers being chucked into a warm box of popcorn. Yes, Maltesers are the best because if you use M and M's, they fall to the bottom, and it'll just be a brown sludge at the bottom. So, Ooh. and because Maltesers are slightly more airy, they'll perfectly filter down in in in, in, in perfect place. So, it's it, that's that's the best way to do. Um, there's a name for it. It's like bugs in something there's a special name for it but i can't remember but um that's probably my favorite way to uh, eat popcorn okay great okay great so if it's an if it's an action <laughs> movie it's a, a marvel movie it's, a, it's if it's a movie that you know you you don't mind a little bit of noise in we're sticking some yeah. maltesers in some salted popcorn yes yes and, and you what what would you go for? Uh, what would I go for? Thanks for asking, Jed. Well, I'm a bit of a purist, uh, so I, I just say salted. But having heard mm-hmm. about this new, this new brave new world of chocolate <laughs> really dispersed amongst my salted popcorn, I am going to try it, and I'm looking forward to it. But as yet, I'm still very pure, just a salted popcorn. <gasps> I want to see a picture of you at the cinema with with, with the Maltesers in your popcorn. I'll, I'll get so much satisfaction out of seeing you that you've done that. <laughs> <It'd be so laughs> right, it's done. It's done. And also, we are done in the foyer. It's time to leave the foyer and walk down the corridor towards the auditorium. Posters we're going to put up along the cinema wall illustrate some of your most important movie memories. The first poster depicts your fondest movie memory. Oh, I have to give a tiny bit of backstory to this. So when me and my sister was little, this was pre-10 years old, so in, in primary school, um, my mum used to, on, on like uh, the half-term holidays, used to drop me off at the Marble Arch um, Odin at the time because my aunt worked there. And because my aunt worked there, she was basically our babysitter for the day. So me and my sister would be dumped into like screen one and we'd watch that film and then we would just the staff would just let us walk into all the other screens and we would go screen by screen by screen by screen so watching all of these movies some of them inappropriate but just that time was so magical that I felt like the cinema was just me and my sisters and we could just go and watch whatever movie we want and and at that very young age I watched some real weird movies and um I think that was the start of me thinking cinema was like magical um but yeah, I guess that the first fondest memory of being in the cinema, I've got, I've got to start with, with host on Halloween 2020, um, because uh, it was at the Genesis Cinema, and yeah, we've been riding the crest of this this host wave, but 
you know, Halloween's so special to, to a lot of us horror people. So just get into do a Q&A with, with me and, and the cast um, on, and watching Coast on the Big Screen on Halloween, just that first year it came out was just so, so, so magical. Like, I just looked around and was like, this is the best. I want this feeling to last forever. <laughs> oh, wow. No wonder you want to own your own cinema, just so you can recreate <laughs> that experience for young children who should not be wandering in and out of various screens, just absorbing all sorts of films. Ah, It's it's, it's host and then... Um, I think one of my fondest memories, and, and it's, it's a slightly weird one because I don't really like the film that much, but I remember like being a very small kid, loving the Back to the Future movies, and then Back to the Future 3 was coming out. And this uh, it was like a school trip. We all went to watch Back to the Future 3. And um, I, I don't think I've ever been more excited than that time to watch uh, that particular film, even though like it doesn't really stand up that much now. But just the... F- just the feeling that it's the first time like a franchise had really gotten me and I, I felt like inspired. And I mean, I wasn't into Westerns cause I was a little kid, but just watching it on the, on the big screen, like the final part of this, this of the Marty McFly trilogy that I, I remember that really, really fondly. And um, I also think I remember I had a little cassette recorder and I recorded the sound off it as well. Cause I thought, <laughs> I thought it was, so I could like listen to it later. Like it was, it was weird. Um, but yeah, I've always been a little bit. Um, but I still really think cinema is just magical places, and like it's my favorite place in the world. Like just watching a film wow. in the cinema. Wow. So I mean, first of all, what is your favorite Back to the Future movie? If it's not three, if we're saying that three, I mean, I, I think that's fair. Three is not the best. What is the best? <laughs> it's two, and I watched yeah. it yesterday. Really, two, <laughs> two. Oh my god, that is there's there's more ideas in that than 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 like Dyson's ever had. Like it's mm-hmm. it's got so many cool moments in it just and just the hoverboard when you first see the, the hoverboard and he's like who has made this this feels like real time travel like because like the future is just so like exciting and and uh, oh man i yeah. loved it oh. the jaws hologram that comes down i remember that <laughs> yeah. i was just like this is incredible and then i as i as i got a bit older it was the bit where he goes back to evil 1985 oh, where yeah. Biff's taken over the world and mm-hmm. it's quite nasty it's pretty dark it's like easily the darkest Ooh. of the three it's yeah and then he goes and sees his, his old uh, principal uh, Strickland and he tries to yeah. shoot him and stuff it's <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. so cool Love yeah it. um all right for your fondest movie memory though Jed we can only put up one poster are we putting up host or are we putting up back to the future three we are putting up host selfishly yeah. I'm going to put up host because yeah that that feeling of watching it in the cinema on Halloween with with all my friends, like it's it's hard to beat. Well, let's put up a second poster as we continue down the corridor. And this second poster depicts your worst movie memory. What is it? Oh, okay. I would say it was genuinely Lord of the Rings, and I'll tell the first one. I'll tell you why. I was so I was so excited. I was so excited for Lord of the Rings, and uh, so. The film started, and there was a guy behind me who was narrating the entire movie to his kid. The, everything that happened, he he would narrate it to his kid, and I was just like, "Okay, I get it. Maybe, maybe like the kid doesn't understand what's going on." So, and I was just like, "Should I say something? No, no. Like this, is, I don't want to spoil this kid's experience in the cinema. He sounds like he's potentially very young." So I kept watching, but then about three quarters of the way through the movie. 
the guy started, and when Gollum was on the screen, the guy was, he was getting angry at the screen. He was angry at Gollum. And I was like, this is strange. And I turned around. There was no kid. He was talking to himself the entire time, just <laughs> narrating it to himself. And, oh, wow. it was, and uh, I can't watch that movie now without without um, hearing the word smeagled, you little because <laughs> that's what the guy was saying behind me smeagle you um it was it yeah so, i've watched it since but like it's affected me so this guy was just he was so into lord of the rings that he was like he was reacting to what was going on on screen and yes. and explaining it to himself and then i mean he sounds like a fan of lord of the rings he, he was definitely a fan. It, it felt like he was doing like a really bizarre director's commentary on the whole <laughs> film, like he was recording it for a DVD or something. Um, but oh my god, like yeah, like so every time I watch it, I, I think of that and, and and laugh. But yeah, it wasn't fun at the time because it kind of spoiled the movie because I was just like, I'm going to say something, I'm going to say something, um, and I never said anything. <laughs> I mean, you, you could have moved to a, a seat at the end, but then you'd have lost that perfect seat in the middle in the J row. Yeah. Right, I, I, I will never leave that J row. Yeah, absolutely you can't. not. You can't. You can't. You can't. You will sit there and suffer for I what will. is it? Seven hours long, Lord of the Rings, yeah. and you'll just you'll just do it. Yeah, I, I respect that. <laughs> okay, Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring is going up. Actually, yes. wait, is it? Will it have been? No, it'll have been the. Oh my god, it will have been even longer if Schmeagel was in it. He doesn't turn up till number two, does he? So no, it will have it, been. It, oh, maybe it was the second one. Was it two yeah. towers? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I almost okay. put up the r- wrong poster there. I'm so okay. sorry. Lord of the Rings, <laughs> the two towers. Great. That's going up. All right. Let's walk away from that poster towards mm-hmm. space for our third poster, which depicts okay. the last performance that brought you to tears. Oh, um, well, I was, um, was it last year or the year before? I was on the um, the Sundance London jury where we had to um, pick like my favorite films and and stuff. And there was one film from that year that unanimously, there was, there was no doubt. Like my, my friend Prano's film Sensor was, was in the mix as well, but I, I, I couldn't make hers be the top because there was one film that, that just brought me to tears when I watched it. And I'm not a crier at all, but this film brought me to tears and it's Coda. Um, yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Like Coda is one of those films where it, I just like, I, I, I literally, I, I can sit through any film and I will not cry because I'm so engrossed in how they made it. Like I oftentimes, mm. like a, like I forget about the emotion. And then Coda came along and the the moment that, that made me cry is when she's just had her audition and her family who are all deaf are there watching and they, they, they can't hear what she's singing. They look around and all the audience is clapping. So they know something's good. So like later on that day, like her, her dad asks her, um, like, like, I want you to sing. I want you to. Sing. Will you sing for me? And she sings, and um, he puts her his hand on her on her vocal cords so he can feel what she's singing. Oh my god! Oh my god! Everyone, so- everyone was in tears. And, I, and this was like a like a like a critics audience. This was like the journalists watching it. Everyone was in tears. I've never seen anything like it. Which, which, when you when you've sat in a few critics' audiences, you realise that <laughs> yeah. something ha- something has to be good to it to move those stone-hearted bastards. Uh, it's true. It's true. Yeah. So code. So it stands for a child of deaf adults. And yes. So 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 yeah. This. Oh yeah. Of course, it went on to win best picture as well at the Oscars, which everyone was like, yeah. Uh, it was a bit of a sort of. It was sort of. 
not that it's a Marmite movie, because I, I, I think, like you just said, it, it would be difficult to watch Coda and not go, that's a lovely film. I think mm. the, the question came was, like, is it, is, is it a Best Picture winner when you put it up against something like The Power of the Dog? Yeah. I'm, as- I'm, <laughs> I, I'm asking you. I'm asking you, Jen. I'm saying, if you no. were, would you, is it, is it better than Power of the Dog? Is it the Best Picture winner? Yes, head and shoulders above Power of the Dog. I did actually like Power of the Dog. There are lots of problems with it, but the performances I thought were really good. But like Coda is something else. Like that performance is Alan Jones's daughter, who who's the lead as well. She's incredible. Um, and again, you don't see a lot of films where the, much of the main cast are um, uh, are deaf as well. And obviously, making Dawn of the Deaf that's something that's not really like close to me um, to have proper representation of these disabilities on screen and coda had that in spades and it, uh, it 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 was amazing it was amazing well i have no problem with our third poster being coda i'm going to put that up right now on the wall of the corridor so <laughs> only one more poster to go before we reach the auditorium and our final Ooh. poster depicts okay. your unpopular movie opinion what is your unpopular movie opinion well okay so I think in the UK, uh, my unpopular opinion, this is unpopular to the people who hold the purse strings to, to give the money to UK filmmakers, uh-huh. is that currently the UK is really only known for two types of movie, and that's poverty porn and, and costume dramas. And I don't know why. We're, we're, we're holding on to this, the last vestiges of like, of like something that doesn't exist anymore. And the, these funds are designed uh, to, to make art and the art funds and the people who hold these purse strings and who decide these things obviously do not think horror movies are art. Um, and um, that's why they don't get funded. And I've, I've done my research. I've looked back at particular institutions, uh, films they funded over the last 20 years. And out of like 200 and something plus, I think two of them are actual horror movies. So it's a real low percentage. And, and yet horror is the most popular genre there is. It's almost guaranteed a return on investment. And we have amazing horror filmmakers in the UK who don't ever get the chance to kind of make anything else because they make one thing. It doesn't do that well because it doesn't go overseas. Um, And it's really hard to get films funded here. So um, my unpopular opinion is that we should rip it up and start again. Take the money away from these institutions and and these funds and put it in the hands of people who are more progressive and want to make movies that will enrich the, um, the British film industry and not you know, keep, keep us in the shadows because everyone else has embraced horror except for the UK and it, it drives me nuts. But if I, there was one film that kind of fully represents what I'm talking, I'm talking about, like a, a horror film that could, from the UK that, or that could, um, besides host, of course, this, that, could, could reach, <laughs> that could reach like uh, um, an international audience and, and is, yeah, Prino Bailey Bond's censor. Where um, I think that um, if if we were clever, we would give Prano all the money to keep making films because she. When I first saw Sensor, I was like, "This film is amazing," and it came from um, uh, an incredibly talented British lady who has been making shorts all this time, and she's been given the chance to make a movie, and she's made the most amazing like British horror movie that feels very British. It like doesn't compromise on this on the Britishness of it, um, and yet um, is I think there's universal themes there. It's just shot so well, um, so I think Sensor uh, represents the type of movie that I think that we should um, 
be um, you know making more of, and and we should give Prana all the money to make whatever film <laughs> she wants to make. So, why do you think? Why do you think that is? Why do you think we have, as as a country, decided some somewhere along the line that these are the kind of movies that are expected of British film, and and why is it that we sort of go, well, no, America does horror, like you know, I mean, for example. To talk about, you know, making a return on horror. I know you you you've worked with Blumhouse, but Blumhouse, you know, you know, it's keep the budget down, then you're definitely going to make a profit. So there is a model there that works. But yeah. why don't we do that then? Because the people who make those decisions uh, do not see horror as art. They are quite. Um, they aim for a certain demographic, a certain niche, and that niche is their friends. Like um, again, I don't want to be too controversial, but the people who get this money are usually people who n- friends are the people who have the money, and um, and it's time and time again. And I, I see all the a, a lot of times smoke and mirrors about how the people who hold the purse strings will, are, are trying to do more genre stuff, but it never materializes. There's always a big announcement: oh, we're going to lean more into horror because that's what people want, and. It doesn't happen. And if we want the British film um, industry to thrive, we're going to have to start making a profit at some point. We're going to have to start making films that the audiences want to see here. That Therefore, we, we keep the money in this country because anytime I want to make a movie, I have to go to America to get funding. And that's the same as everyone else I know. And it shouldn't be like that. We should be able to fund our own films and make films popular films that people want to see here. And I know so many amazing horror filmmakers in the UK who are making amazing films with tiny, tiny budgets. And if they had that little bit more of a push, a little bit more of a budget, more support, then um, uh, we could do gangbusters. And I, I always look back to like the 60s and the 70s and the stuff that Hammer and Amicus were doing. They were doing these incredible movies, absolutely star-studded, Tales from the Crypt is a British movie. It's made by Amicus, British movie. People think it's American. And it, it drives me insane that we've let the Americans take over uh, to be the, be the kings of horror. It drives me insane. And we let them do that in the 80s. And then we've, we've, we've never been able to rec- reclaim it again because we're so hell-bent on, on making our country look prestigious and... and um, you know, this incredible place to come and live. But there is a dark underbelly to this country that is not explored enough. And I think we need to. And I think if if there are smart people out there who have money, you need to invest in horror. Give it to talented filmmakers to make horror that represents um, stuff that's happening in this country. Kind of like what Jordan Peele is doing in America. He's talking mm. about social issues in, in an entertaining way, which makes it palatable for people to understand, comprehend and empathize. But... We not we're not doing it over here. It drives me insane. Do you think? I I, I can tell, and I think it's a really strong argument. And I, I you know I agree yeah. with you for for for, for numerous reasons, a hundred percent. Do you think yeah. part of it is the fact that, uh, uh, on a bigger scale, if you're going to make a British movie and uh, to have it have a global success, let's say, for it to sort of extend its reach outside of the UK, and you know really make a huge return, it probably needs to be recognized at an award season somewhere, whether it's BAFTA, whether it's at the Academy Awards, you know, that's, if you're making a, a small movie that gets picked up at one of these award shows, then it, it can have a lie, a much bigger life and a much bigger return. And as you well know, these award shows are never going to reward horror. So it, 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 they're, while they will make a return on it, they're never going to make, it's never going to be the King's Speech, for example. Mm-hmm. Well, this is why I'm on the jury of a lot of um, <laughs> uh, festivals and awards now. So I am um, the person in these meetings with, when people are deciding things, uh, whether to put th- things through to the next level. And of course, I'm there, the champion for horror. Like 
um, if you've made a horror film in the UK, you, you can you can pretty much guarantee there's one person that um, in the uh, awards uh, mix that is trying to, as long as it's good, that's trying to fight for your film and, and the merits of your film. So I think we need more people who understand the genre, get rid of the people who've been there for 50 years, uh, let some new blood in. Um, and expand it. And I'm not saying get rid, completely get rid of costume dramas. There's a, there's a time and there's a place for it, but just have a little bit more balance, like just more horror movies, give, give people, because I've seen people genuinely who have got grants from certain institutions here and uh, horror films. And great. This is great. And then at the last minute um, being told to take away all the horror stuff and make a bit more of a drama at the last minute. And um, I can name names, but I'm, I'm not going to. It's no. it's it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, and it's never going to change unless the people who are at the top uh, step aside voluntarily, um, and then someone else who ha- more fresh eyes comes in. I- I'm happy to volunteer to lead this revolution. <laughs> it's horror I, revolution in it, the UK. It sounds like you are. It sounds like you're infiltrating every jury one by one and converting them. But okay. Yeah. I think this is great. I think the poster, what what would you like this poster to say that we're going to put up? Because it's going to be a rallying call. Yeah. Okay. So it would be just Viva British Horror. Um, and then it would just be a, uh, a montage of all the cool British horrors that have been been out in the last five years. Um, and just one other thing, one of the things that successful British directors quite often do is they have one hit and they move to America and then they make films over there. Stay, stay here for, for as long as possible. Make horror films over here uh, because we need it. We, we need to have these prestige horror films over here. We need to have our own Blumhouse. We need to have our own A24. Um, and it's coming. I, I know it's coming because you can't help look at the figures and the money these people are making and not think, oh, maybe I want some of that. Um, so yeah it's a great final poster man it's a great final poster (laughs) viva british horror i love it oh and on that note we've arrived at the last set of doors now there's a queue of people here waiting to come into the auditorium but this is your perfect night you can have it just you and david lynch or you can invite the crowd in with you what are you doing jed i want it to be a full crowd. I want it to be completely full. I want to see the audience reactions because I, I, I love audience reactions. I love seeing what works for other people and it might not work for me, but if it works for other people, that's research to, for something that I may do in the future. Yeah, it, 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 I, I want it as full as possible, as rowdy as possible, but not talking during the quiet bits. Mm. Um, and not, just narrating, the, not narrating the film. <laughs> yeah, no. exactly. Bloody <laughs> Schmeagol. Yeah, got you. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yep. Sharing my jelly snakes with David Lynch. He's probably, he'd probably like take it and put it on his head and just leave there the entire performance. It's the kind of thing he would do. <laughs> well, the crowd go wild. They're pouring into the auditorium. Everyone's taking their seats. You're right, bang, in the centre, in the middle. Row J. Now, before mm-hmm. we get into everything else we're going to do is the build-up to the movies. We're going to play a trailer because everyone loves trailers at the cinema. And we're going to play the trailer for the film you're most looking forward to. What trailer are we playing? It's got to be Evil Dead Rise. Um, I am so excited for the new Evil Dead movie. Beyond excited. As soon as it dropped, I watched it like 30 times. I was like, oh my God, this is my exact sensibilities. Like like horror with a, with a, with a dash of comedy in, in the way that only Sam Raimi can do. And, um, well, he produced it. Um, but yeah, it's, it, and it's a British director as well. So that's really cool. Um, 
but yeah, it's, it's I cannot wait. And I love that universe, and I love they're they're moving out of the forest and going somewhere else. Um, yeah, can't wait. It looks great, doesn't it? I watched mm-hmm. it the other day. I was like, "Oh my god, mother!" <laughs> you, using a cheese grater as a weapon, it, like it's, that's genius. That's absolutely genius because you could just imagine the damage that could do. <laughs> oh man! Oh great, great. Well, the trailer for Evil Dead Rise is the trailer we're playing. Okay, we're warming up now. We're going to play mm-hmm. your favorite shot or sequence from a movie next? What's your favourite shot or sequence from a movie? So have you seen the 1984 movie Night of the Comet starring <laughs> Catherine Mary Stewart and and Kelly Maroney? Yes, weirdly, I had it okay. on VHS as a kid. Yeah, Amazing, amazing. I, I love that movie. It's so underrated. I, I just absolutely love everything about that movie. And I love the cast. I love the director. I love everything that's happened. But my favourite bit... Is this is a horror movie with zombies, end of the world scenario. But my favorite sequence is they realize like they're the only ones left on earth, essentially, these two sisters, um, played by Catherine Mary Stewart and Kelly Maroney. So they go to do what we would do, actually do in that scenario. They go to the mall and loot it. And there is a girls just want to have fun montage of them, <laughs> very 80s, trying on costumes, dancing around to girls just want to have fun. That's what I would do. I would try on things in the mall. I, I, I would break into places and, and, and play with things and dance around to girls just want to have the fun in a mall. That's what I would do. <laughs> so just seeing that in a horror movie is 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 great. It just makes me like, it's one of those moments that just is very uplifting for me. Oh, yeah. And they, but they, they loot them all with respect. They're, they're not like, <laughs> It's not like it's not like Dawn of the Dead with the bikers no. when they destroy them all. They're looting them all for you know. It's like it's a fun. It's a it's a makeover montage in the middle of a horror movie. I, I absolutely love it. I absolutely love that. I've, I've been to that mall as well, um, and uh, yeah, I've got to hang out with the, with those two stars as well, Catherine Catherine Mary Stewart and, and Kelly Maroney. They're amazing. Um, I've been to the, the Dawn, of, Dawn of the Dead mall as well. I, I seem to, to to go to a lot of film malls, but. Oh yeah, the 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 original or the the new one, the original in the Mon- original. Monroeville. Yeah, in fact, one second. This wow. is a bit from the uh, from the lift in the Monroeville Mall um, in from Dawn of the Dead, and it has a bit of blood on it as well. This was given to me by by someone when uh, when I was there. It's an actual part of uh, Dawn of the Dead. The lift, um, where is it? David dies when he meets his yeah. his death. Oh, poor David. Yes, this wow. this is from the panel in on that lift. <laughs> so um, That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't rip it off the wall. There, someone gave it to me. It's a, it's a, it's great. Um, but yeah, I've also. That- that mall's still there then? Is it still a functioning mall or is it derelict now? It's, no, it's still a functioning mall. And wow. they have like a, a, a George Romero uh, a bust there that you can you can stand next to. And they have like a, a zombie uh, shop there as well where you can buy like horror things. Uh, yeah, it's functioning. It's, just, it's really cool. It's right right next to basically Pittsburgh. And does it look, did they, have they kept it like if you, do you sort of go, oh my God, it looks like the mall from... Like where was it? Nice and What are we? Yeah. Something. Yeah. Anyway, something like that. Yeah. It's it's very much like that. But obviously, all the shops have changed. Yes. Um, it's very much like that. But it's not. Um, you know, it's not as eighties as it once was. Unfortunately. Right. Right. But yeah, and then I went to the Blair to Burkittsville uh, straight afterwards. I was. I was going to say, (laughs) is this the trip you did where you did? uh, You went to all these locations from horror. Yes, yes, yes. Went, went, we went 
uh, me and, and Blair, we went, we were in Monroeville Mall having a coffee, just going, it's cool to be here. And then we were just like, how far is Burkittsville from here? And we just, on, on a whim, just drove there. And we had the, the best time just hanging out with the locals. And um, and we met some of the cast who were like randomly there as well. And oh, it was such a good time. In fact, this is part of the Blair Witch. Did I bring this on 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 the show last time? This is the oh. first. Time, this is the first time I'm actually seeing it. You mentioned <laughs> that you had it, but I've not seen it before. So this is this is what exactly? This is the the house at the end of the Blair Witch Project, where um, where Mike's standing in the corner. This is part of that house, um, which, which is really cool because the house is uh, it kind of fell down because it was a real old rickety house and it's fallen down, so it's just in bits in the middle of the woods now. But this this is from from that house, um, and I actually keep it in my jacket pocket with me at all times, just as a little bit. I know it sounds a bit weird because you know it's a Blair Witch Project, but. Um, Blair Witch was a massive influence in me, and like it obviously influenced host and, and found footage in general. So, um, yeah, and and me and the, the director of Blair Witch Project, Project Eduardo Sanchez, were trying to get something Blair Witchy going um, in, in in the near future. So that just reminds me of of my journey. I mean, uh, we we kind of touched on this before, but is it is it spooky? When you're walking around those woods, is it as spooky as it feels when you're when you're because obviously you do genuinely we, that movie you feel like you're lost in the woods with these yeah. three people and mm-hmm. uh, it, 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 do you wander far into the woods to get that feeling? Well, it's actually a very small woods, um, and uh, <laughs> you can see the road pretty much from wherever you are. So there's there's no chance of getting lost. They had to be really clever not to show the road. I think when they were making it, but um, it wasn't spooky. But because we went in daylight, but I think if it was at night and, and you're right next to in in the part uh, called Coffin Rock, maybe that would be spooky. And I actually probably later on this year, I'm going to go back to Burkittsville and I'm going to camp in the woods for. Um, for something that I'm doing later on this year. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll see how spooky it is then. I'll report back. <laughs> so have you got a plan for what you want to do with Eduardo Sanchez? Is there, is there something that you're talking about? Something is it, it, Would it be in part as part of the Blair Witch universe? Yes, yes. Okay. Um, I mean, it would be... when we, we've, we've talked a few times about this and... Again, it depends on schedules and and rights and things, but um, he has for the longest time wanted to do a Blair Witch TV show, and um, he just needed the right collaborator. So then he asked me. I came along, and we've been talking about it. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see. We'll see. It's um, he has told me what the first what the pilot episode would be, and when he was telling me, I was almost in tears. Like I, I got because it was just everything. It was so good, and it starts the second the Blair Witch Project ends. Like, and yeah, and he's already spoken to, a, uh, a, well, one main person that's casting and is one of the biggest stars around and they want to do it. So yeah, if we, if we just get our act together and, and people let us have the rights, we'll make this amazing TV show with a very big star. Um, but we'll see, we'll see. Oh man. We'll see. That, yeah. <laughs> that sounds exciting. Sounds very exciting. All right then. Well, we're going to play, we got so far off track, we're playing the mall montage from Night of the Comets there. That's where we yes. were. That was your favourite shot or sequence in a movie. Now, uh, you yeah. very kindly, Jed, printed out T-shirts as a gift to our audience with your favourite movie quotes on the front. Thank you. What does the movie quote say on these T-shirts? It's it's a classic. It's um, Carol Ann in Poltergeist saying they're here. 
re- reason being for that quote is because I think the amount of weight that that those two words hold is 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 incredible because it it means you don't know what is who they are and you don't know why they're here but also the biggest thing how does how does carol ann know that's the spookiest thing how does a child in the horror movie know more than the adults there's so there's so much on those two words um and i'm a big fan of brevity and 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 i think those two words just are two of the, the my favorite words in cinema history just they're here it's it's so powerful and and yeah does she i i, I always I always get this wrong. Remind me, does she sort of say it in a slightly sing-song voice? Is it like there? Yeah, here. that's exactly like- how she says it. Yeah, she so she's she's sitting in bed and the TV flicks on and it and it starts to strobe and then she kind of wakes up and she she crawls towards the TV over the bed. She sits down in front of it and all these wisps of kind of smoky things come out of it. And then the parents wake up and she just turns around slowly and and just says. They're here. <laughs> <like>, what? <laughs> Who's here? Um, oh, amazing child performance as well. She she was brilliant. Yes, yes, she was. Yeah, okay. That's a great. That's a nice quote for a t-shirt. I think our audience are going to love that. So they're wearing the t-shirts with they're here on. And finally, <laughs> before we get into our double bill. The final bit of warming up our audience need. They've got their T-shirts, but they want to hear your favourite song or score from a movie. What is it? So I've got two. Th- I've got two to to choose from. Um, one of them is um, uh, the it's John the John Barry score from this film called Somewhere in Time. I don't I don't know if you've seen Somewhere in Time. It's a 1980 Christopher Reeve Jane Seymour love movie and um with a little bit of time travel and i'm at the moment obsessed with time travel stuff so i watched this movie somewhere in time and i have never seen or never heard music so perfectly marrying with 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 the images and it because what i always think a good score and 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 good sound design does it doesn't it doesn't uh, tell you how to feel. It just accentuates what you're what you're seeing, and um, yeah, the theme from Somewhere in Time is is very simple, but just it just hit, hits you right in the feels. It's just it's it's incredible, and just John Barry's a genius anyway. But yeah, the theme from um, Somewhere in Time, or if I had to do something a little bit more popular, it would be um, probably Back in Time uh, from um, Back to the Future. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, in time. Uh, yeah, of, of the two, <laughs> I know that one. I don't know the John Barry one, but that doesn't mean you you don't have to do something popular. Jed, this is your perfect yeah. night. Okay. Are you picking yeah. somewhere in time the score by John Barry or the more the more populist? Sure, you know, back in time from Back to the Future. Which one do you want to hear? I am going to go somewhere in time. Uh, okay, the, the John John Barry soundtrack. Yeah, and it's one of, it's one of the most popular. Even though the film didn't do really well at the box office, uh, the soundtrack is one of the most popular soundtracks to play at weddings. Apparently, um, it's, it's an incredible soundtrack. Really, really good. Great. Oh, that's going. That's going on my list. I, I, I won't even pretend to know it uh, already. You but, will uh, love it. Christopher Reeve in the middle of of his Superman run, just basically playing Clark Kent, going back in time to find Jane Seymour. It is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. So it's time for our double bill. Now, the first Ooh. movie you're playing, before we get to our headline film, we're going to play the film that is most important to you, 
Jed, what film is most important to you? The film that's most important to me isn't necessarily my favourite film, because my favourite film is Night of the Comet, but my the most important one for me is Evil Dead 2. I know it's a very basic answer, but Evil Dead 2 is the film that made me love movies. I, I will go as far as to say that just knowing, and even before I knew Sam Raimi directed it, um, just, just seeing this film that was both horror and comedy together and, and working so well, it's really inspirational to me. And finding out later on that there's a guy who made it called Sam Raimi, and in fact, he made loads of good movies, and he made this with his friends, just like we did with Host. He got a bunch of his friends together, went into the woods, made a movie for very little money, maxing out credit cards, and he made a movie that became horror legend. And and uh, and now, weirdly, uh, Sam Raimi is my mentor, which is um, he's been appointed to me as my mentor, which is really cool. So he he has been guiding me for for the last little while, and it's amazing just zooming with him and him saying you should do this, you should do this, and and I sometimes forget. Oh my god, this is Sam Raimi. He's my favorite director, <laughs> and like I can just zoom in when I want. This is this is nuts. <laughs> That's uh, amazing. So tell tell me how he's come to be your mentor. How did that come about? Um, so I can't tell you the specifics cause it, sure. it involves the project I'm doing now, but basically this, I'm doing a project where, um, I, uh, because it's, again, I'm still early in my directorial career. Um, they said that I should have someone that I could, uh, refer to and bounce ideas off and stuff. And, um, someone who's, who's seen done it all. And I suggested Sam Raimi, not thinking that was a possibility. And they went out and got me Sam Raimi. So, um, yeah, and I'd already known him before because me, me and Rob had, uh, me and Rob are separately doing doing a film together with him as well. But he's always just seen me as like a writer or an ideas person or someone who's funny on Zooms. But now he's seen me as a director and um, he is really, really rooting for me. He is... He's putting a lot of energy into helping me, and um, yeah, and it's you know it's 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 unparalleled access to to one of the best filmmakers around who made a billion dollars on his last movie. So I know when he says something, I am sure taking notes. I'm taking notes everything he says because um, he's been and and seen everything, and he's just so fun as well. He's never lost that kind of youthful kind of fun that he had when he was making his Evil Dead movies. Mm. Does it is it does it take a, a a moment to to sort of come to terms with I guess to relax and be like and get over the fact that you know Evil Dead Two is what the, the movie that's most important to you and you're talking to the creator of it do you, do you take a moment to go all right be cool Jed it's fine and then relax into it and now I guess you're in a, at a point where you're like oh, all right I, I can listen we can have a conversation as opposed to me being like that's Sam Raimi yeah I mean it's weird because I felt. I always felt like I knew him because of his films and Drag Me to Hell and all of his like serious films as well. Like watching many films from one director, you, you do have a feeling that you kind of know them, know him. I've seen him in interviews and things, and he's always so good in interviews. So, I mean, I knew him better than he knew me, obviously. Um, but I don't think that it's ever worn off, and I don't think it ever will. Um, even like the last time I spoke to him. Uh, I had to like end the call slightly early because I had to speak to Sky Customer Services. They they they, they were going to call me back at a certain time, and I was like, "I'm so sorry, Sam. I've got to, got to take this call from Sky Customer Services now." And it it really it really kind of puts things into perspective how like weird this like being a filmmaker is. Like, <laughs> it's nuts. Wow. 
Um, oh, all right. so nice. He's so kind as well. He's such a kind guy. There's, to go back to Evil Dead 2, then, is, uh, my, one of my favorite moments from that is just, it's the POV stuff of the evil force in the forest. I remember seeing that as a kid and it's scaring the crap out of me. And now seeing it as an adult, it's just so fun. Just do it like I, I'm right in thinking they put a plank of wood with a camera on on the front of a car <laughs> or, or, or just drove it down the road with the, the camera suspended off the bonnet. Yeah, that's basically it. Um, or they kind of rigged a, a um, kind of a, a temporary Steadicam type thing, on, yeah, onto a vehicle. Um, and he's he, he's done that move in, in in so many films, and a lot of people have kind of copied him. But like when he was he was helping me with, with something I, I I did recently, he was uh, some of his signature moves. He was like, I think you should do it like that. And I was like, Oh, you mean the the, the Raimi tilt? And he's like, Yeah, do that. like because you know he does that thing where he like zooms in and tilts. Um, so there's some of that, but Sam told me to do it, and he's just he's just really clever. Like when I'm stuck on things, he and um, he says, You know that bit in Evil Dead Two when I did this, like you should kind of do it and do that. And there's a bit that is an Evil Dead Two. It's a really minor moment, but like it. it it makes you really scared of, of like what's to come next. And we kind of use that in, in the thing that I'm doing. Um, but he's the best and like, um, he's just funny as well. He's, he, he's a big fan of the three stooges, uh, which is across all of his movies. And, um, yeah, he, he's, he's great. And I've got to know his daughter as well. His daughter's, his daughter, um, Emma is really nice as well. She's an up and coming filmmaker. He's going to make waves. I'm sure. Oh man, it's always good to hear like, cause you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Raimi and I, I like the bits that are very Raimi, even in movies that aren't really that Raimi, like, you know, like a, a, a simple plan where it's like, yeah. it's all very low key. And then there's that one shootout in the kitchen. You're like, Oh my God, it's totally Raimi. Yeah, exactly. He he can't help being Raimi. And even in, in, in um, Doctor Strange 2, like that is just a pure horror film. Like, I don't know how he convinced them to let him Raimify the Marvel universe. Oh, I know he did it in Spider-Man, but yeah, it felt like an Evil Dead movie, basically. Um, but yeah, it is incredible. Right then, Evil Dead 2. Our audience have just watched Evil Dead 2 and they are on tenterhooks. It's time to play our final movie. The movie that you have picked, Jed, out of all others to feature as the climax for tonight. What are we watching? We are watching a film that I mentioned slightly earlier um, that no one has watched, and that is Somewhere in Time. It is Somewhere in Time, and the reason is, it is one of the most incredible performances by Christopher Reeve and Jane Seymour, and like it, it blew me away the first time I watched it. It was only quite recently, and every time I say to someone, have you seen Somewhere in, in Time? They say no. And I can't believe this. So it needs to get a re-release. It needs to be released on Blu-ray or something so people watch it. It is such a good movie. Really, really, really good. Contained time travel movie with the most amazing music and most amazing performances. And uh, and this isn't a spoiler, but the ending is absolutely heartbreaking. And like I couldn't believe the ending. It's one of the few times where I just couldn't believe I was seeing what I was seeing. So I would say most definitely more people need to see Summer in Time. And if I'm programming this, then it, it has to be Summer in Time. This is a this is a, this is a great dry run for when you actually own your your non virtual <laughs> yeah. cinema, your real yes. world cinema. So somewhere in time. So just so I know what I, I'm walking into when I watch this. Yeah. Uh, is it a romance? Is it a drama? Is it a romantic comedy? Is, what, what is it? 
Yeah, so it, it's a, it's a film um, starring Christopher Reeve as a screenwriter in contemporary um, America, and he he's having a bit of writer's block, um, and he happens upon he goes away to to Mackinac, Mackinac Island in um, in uh, in the state of. Uh, Illinois, there, oh, it's Michigan, state of Michigan. There's this little island that's kind of basically for rich people, but there's this incredible hotel that's really there called called the the, the Grand, and he goes there in order to kind of um, get his mind together because he's a bit stuck on this story. And in inside this hotel, there is a museum of of about the hotel. It's been around for hundred years, and there's a painting of a woman on the wall, and it's Jane Seymour from the 1920s. And he becomes obsessed with this painting so much so that he figures a way to go back in time. So to find her, and I'm not going to tell you the mechanics of how that happens, but it's basically Superman going back in time to find a woman he's fallen in love with in the picture. So it's basically a romance movie with a little bit of sci-fi, but it's just so brilliantly written. Um, And uh, yeah, I don't know why more people haven't seen it it's 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 great the, the director is um is called janot schwartz i don't think he's done very much he's like i think he's belgian but um yeah it wasn't a hit at all when it first came out i don't think people were ready to see superman in another role but uh, for me it's his best role um yeah and i think you'll enjoy it i think you'll enjoy it i love the fact i mean Unless I'm in a minority, but I don't think by the sounds of things I am. You have just educated a room full of people. I wonder if David Lynch has seen it. Do you think David Lynch is going to love it? I, I think he he would really love it, but he would probably question the mechanics and the logistics of the time travel, right? Because um, it's very unusual. There's no machine. Put it, put it that way. Um, so I think he would get a kick out of that. Um, but yeah, it's just beautifully shot on film, and yeah, it's great. <sighs> And there we go. Well, the curtains have closed on somewhere in time. The guests are milling out, smiling, chatting, and thanking you for taking them on an incredible night out of the movies and for a lot of them educating them on somewhere in time. But before you go, Jed, it's time for this week's mystery question. As we ask, what's in the box? I saw you with the box. What was in the box? Oh, what's in the box? Uh, just open Ooh. the box. Yeah, I actually have a box, fully immersive. All right. This week's mystery question is, what, in your opinion, Jed, is the greatest horror remake ever made? Wow, you are setting me up for a fall here. But um, I think um, I'm a big fan of um, the Dawn of the Dead remake. I think that is one of the few horror remakes of a well-known and well-loved film that actually works. And I might even say that Zack Snyder actually made a better film than the original with with the remake um, and that's controversial but I love that I love that remake I think it's really 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 good so I mean it, it, do you like fast zombies over slow zombies or is this a very specific Dawn of the Dead remake over the original um I I like both zombies I just like zombies in general uh, I don't have a preference um okay. but I think I I just think Zack Snyder just brought something else um, to to the dawn of the dawn of the dead, night of the living dead universe. Um, yeah, did a really really good job, and that's why I give him a lot of leeway, and and he has a lot of goodwill for me for his his, his subsequent films because he smashed out of the park with Dawn of the Dead. 
it is his best film uh without yeah. without a doubt i mean like just like the the way it's been put together as well like that johnny cash opening as you're seeing oh. like the chaos of the world fall apart and you know down to you know Jim Carroll at the end, you know, those are people who've died, died. You're just like, oh my God, this music in this is incredible. Like the way so it's good. edited. Yeah. Oh, um, all right. Um, I, 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 I'm, I get told off on another podcast I do uh, called Clash of the Titles for mentioning this, but just because you mentioned it, I, I actually play one of the zombies in Dawn of the Dead, the remake. Do you? <laughs> for real, yeah. In which bit? Yeah. In which bit? So the bit where they break into the mall and Ving Rhames and Sarah Polly and everyone run to the lift, I'm the third yeah. zombie from the front running towards them. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. That's amazing. That's incredible, man. That's, yeah. You should have told me that last time. That's amazing. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. Can I pick that film? I probably, this, this wasn't like set up. Not a set up. Not a set up. You just, you just provided me with the opportunity to uh, once again retell <laughs> uh, my little claim to fame. But yeah. Yeah. Are you in Shaun of the Dead as well? Are you a zombie in Shaun of the Dead? Annoyingly, the shoots the shoots clashed. If you can believe, right. <laughs> I yeah. was I was being a zombie in Dawn of the Dead, so I couldn't do Shaun of the Dead. But I did get to be a zombie in Land of the Dead. That's uh, <laughs> nice, yeah. Yeah. nice. Yeah. Do you know? Uh, or maybe I should tell you. But like, I was approached about a new Dawn of the Dead movie um, not so long ago. Um, or maybe I shouldn't say. But I'll tell you off. But like. I'm going to tease that I was approached by. by I'm not. I'm not doing it. By the way, I'm not doing it. But like uh, recently, I was approached, but I was just like, I can't. I can't. Um, But yeah, it's. uh, I I love that franchise a lot. (laughs) And on that bombshell, wow, that is it, Jed. Your taxi has arrived to ferry you back to reality. But before you go, let's recap your trip to the movies. So you are going with David Lynch to a midnight screening. You're sitting in the centre, in the middle, at in probably row J, I believe, yeah. and you are only going to be eating soft stuff, jelly sweets, jelly snakes, or chocolate. But if I pushed you, you might get some salt and chocolate and chuck in some Maltesers. We are putting <laughs> up posters of Host, Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, Coda, and finally a poster that says, Viva British Horror, with images of all our country's great horror movies. We're then watching the trailer for Evil Dead Rise. We are watching the sequence in the shopping mall from Night of the Comet. We are printing out T-shirts for our audience with, They're here. Um, we are then listening to the soundtrack by John Barry to Somewhere in Time before watching Evil Dead 2, followed by Somewhere in Time. Jed, have you had a good time? Best night ever. Best night ever. And then, and then uh, me and David Lynch will go for a drink. Um, and I get to hear him speak about what he's just seen, and and uh, yeah, best night ever. <laughs> well, thank you for taking us. It's been a pleasure. Jed Shepard, goodbye! Bye, everyone! And as Jed's cab carries him away from our virtual cinema off into the distance, it's your chance to win a pair of tickets for a night out at a very real Odeon cinema. As I said at the start, the lovely people at Odeon have given us a pair of tickets to give away every week, and if you'd like the chance of getting these tickets, all you have to do is leave us a review of the show. You can do that on whichever podcast platform you use, be it Apple Podcasts or other, or you can get in touch on any of our socials, Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok, 
where we are at Trip to Movies Pod. The competition is only open to UK residents and tickets exclude Odeon Leicester Square and Odeon Lux. And just before I say my final farewell for this episode, don't forget you can find the full ad-free video interview for today's Jed Shepard episode and indeed every guest on our A Trip to the Movies Patreon as well as early access to the podcast too. And that really is it. I'll speak to you next week when another guest takes us on A Trip to the Movies. Bye-bye.